Are you ready? Hello and welcome to another episode of the Around the CFL podcast. Anthony here with you again, and it is Legends Week. On Tuesday, we got to sit down with the amazing number nine, Damon Allen. And today is no different as we have the greatest football mind the CFL has ever seen. The great Wally Buono joins us. But before that, let's get to some news. Ottawa Red Blacks head coach Bob Dice announced on Tuesday that kicker Lewis Ward will miss the remainder of the 2023 season with a torn pectoral muscle. The injury to the veteran kicker led to the club announcing the signing of national kicker punter Michael Domagala and national kicker Kieran Burnham earlier this week. Ward converted 34 of 40 field goal attempts over 13 games this season with a league-high 54-yard field goal against the Hamilton Tiger Cats in Week 8. The Toronto Argonauts have signed special teams coordinator Mikey Donovan to a contract extension. The veteran coach is currently in his second year with the team after winning a Grey Cup with the Argos in 2022. The club currently ranks first league-wide in return touchdowns, field goal percentage, punt return average, kickoff average, and blocked kicks. Toronto has also not allowed any return touchdowns this entire season. And finally in the news, the Argonauts were not finished as they have extended the contract of general manager Michael Pinball Clemens. Clemens was named the 20th general manager in Argos history in October of 2019. Since then, he's led the Argonauts to a championship in 2022, three consecutive East Division season titles, and the best start in Argonauts history at 11-1 this year. The Canadian Football Hall of Famer took over a very struggling double blue team that had won a total of eight games in two seasons and helped turn it into a nine-win team in 2021 in that 14-game season, 11-win team in 2022, and 11-wins so far this year in 2023. Montreal Blitz and Kelly again, looks left, comes back right, Coxie, double move, down the sideline, touchdown Argos! Bombs away from Chad Kelly! This is flat-footed, just lift it, let Coxie go get it, flat-footed, boop! Flick of the wrist, dropping in on a dime, in stride. Week 15 kicked off on Friday with the Toronto Argonauts traveling out to Montreal to take on the Alouettes and for the Argos to have a chance to clinch first place in the East already. And they did just that when they won 23-20. Chad Kelly, 21 for 35, 275 yards and a touchdown. A.J. Ouellette, 10 carries for 53 yards, but he put one in the end zone as well. Tommy Neald had 7 catches for 82 yards, becoming a big threat for Chad Kelly. Kelly and DeMonte Coxie four catches 75 yards and a touchdown as well on the other side Cody Fajardo 30 for 39 274 yards a touchdown and an interception Tyson Philpott nine catches for 105 yards and a touchdown having a big very needed breakout game Tyler Sneed had three catches for 63 yards as well second and 17 Ford in trouble spins to his left stays on his feet now Ford, with time, looking down the field, throwing to the end zone, touchdown! Geno Lewis, some magic from the fabulous Ford, and he drops it into Lewis, and the Elks 
answer back. The Friday doubleheader game two was announced by my favorite announcer, Dustin Nielsen, and it was the Edmonton Elks heading out to Saskatchewan to take on the Riders, and the Elks, in stunning fashion, yet again pull out another victory, 36 to 27. Trey Ford, 13 for 20, 173 yards, a touchdown and interception. Kevin Brown was just an absolute monster. 19 carries, 175 yards on the ground and a touchdown. And Geno Lewis had a big day, three catches, 84 yards, and that big touchdown you just heard as well. For Saskatchewan, Jake Dolagala, 20 for 34, sorry, 213 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. Very impressive day for him. Jamal Morrow had 10 carries for only 46 yards on the ground. Tevin Jones, four catches, 72 yards, and a touchdown. But our friend Sean Bain Jr., six catches, 47 yards, but he put two more touchdowns in the end zone to add to his total, unfortunately, in the losing cause. Pushing. Touchdown. Moxley takes it in for his second touchdown of the season as a Tiger Cat. The first game on Saturday was a very uneventful, kind of boring game, and the announced team, unfortunately, was kind of boring as well, which didn't really put much excitement into the game. No offense to them, it just it just didn't bring out a lot of excitement. It was the Winnipeg Blue Bombers traveling out to Hamilton to take on the Tiger Cats, and in stunning fashion, the Tiger Cats took this one 29-23, upsetting the Bombers. Zach Caleros, 21 for 35, 344 yards, two touchdowns, but three interceptions. Brady Oliveira, nine carries and was held to only 46 yards on the ground. Nick Dembski, though, six catches, 137 yards in the air and a touchdown. Dalton Schoen even had 10 catches for 110 yards as well. For Hamilton, Taylor Powell, 20 for 26, 236 yards, a touchdown and interception. James Butler, 22 carries for 82 yards and a touchdown. Terry Godwin, 4 catches, 61 yards and a touchdown. And in a stunning way, like I said, Hamilton pulled this one out. Ottawa brings 5, Adams, the corner out to Lucky Whitehead. Whitehead, does he have it? He does! Touchdown, BC! Lions back in front! And to close out week 15, what a game. This game was super exciting. Okay, let's be real. Yes, I am a Lions fan, but I try to be impartial when it comes to this podcast. It was the Ottawa Red Blacks heading out to BC Place to take on the Lions. And in last second heroics, Lucky Whitehead comes back clutch in the end zone to pull in the touchdown. And it was 41-37 for the Lions. Dustin Crum went 19 for 30, 233 yards, but he threw an interception. Devontae Williams had 18 carries for 66 yards on the ground. Justin Hardy had 8 catches for 114 yards. The offense on both sides were firing on all cylinders. Vernon Adams Jr. again, 26 for 37, 325 yards in the air, three touchdowns, but he did throw three picks as well. He also had five carries on the ground for 45 yards. Justin McInnes, eight catches, 118 yards, two touchdowns. Lucky Whitehead, like I said, clutch, comes up big, six catches, 87 yards, including the winner, the Lions came out big, and that was the way that they closed out Week 15. 
All right, that is it for the week that was in the CFL. Coming up next, it is the greatest coach of all time, the GOAT, Wally Buono joins us. So we'll be right back after this, and we'll be sitting down with Coach. Joining us today is the greatest coach of all time. He is a seven-time Grey Cup champion, two as a player, five as a coach. Four-time Anastuckus Coach of the Year Award winner, the winningest coach in CFL history, 2014 Canadian Football Hall of Fame inductee. He is the greatest football mind there is, and he has not come alone. Joining us today is Christy Buono of the amazing organization Make-A-Wish Canada and her father, the great Wally Buono. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you very much for having us and uh, appreciate all the kind words. Yeah, thanks, Anthony. We appreciate it being here. It's always fun to do something uh, with my dad and we like doing this together, so I appreciate Christy it. Christy makes me look good, so I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so a lot of people think about the legendary coach, but you also played 10 seasons as a linebacker for the Alouettes and winning two Grey Cups. How did the transition to coaching happen for you? Well, you know, it was a funny thing. Um, I kind of retired in 1982, and uh, I uh, did some work for a friend of mine who was president of Hockey Ministries. Uh, We did hockey camps, and uh, he needed somebody to help him with the administration, so I told him I would do that. And uh, camps finished around September 1st, and then I got a call from Joe Galat, who was uh, the GM and head coach of the Montreal Concords at that time. And he said, well, I, we'd like for you to uh, coach the junior Concords, if you don't mind, and uh, uh, we want you to start right away and, uh, you know, and then just go from there. So I did, and, you know, we, we uh, did well. We played in the uh, national championship in Vancouver against the Renfrew Trojans. We lost. But it was a great experience for me, and uh, you know, it was the start of my coaching career. You spent many years in Montreal. Uh, you came over to Montreal from Italy, correct? I, my father came over in 1951. My brother and my mother and I came over in 1953. That's how the uh, things worked. The uh, men had to come over, work first, get their whatever they call. Them. I think they were called stamps at that time, and then they could. Uh, bring their family over, which we came. So we came in March of 1953. So from Montreal, working with the Concords, you got the opportunity to head west to Calgary to join the Stampeders. Were you excited to take on this new challenge and move west? Well, you know what? I was just excited to have a job. Uh, we had three kids and, you know, my wife was pregnant. And, uh, you know, um, at that time, I was just starting to get into coaching because I had coached with the uh, Concords for a number of years. And, uh, you know, this was my first uh, move. And, uh, you know, uh, I talked to Cal Murphy at one point. I talked to Bob Vespasiani at another point, And I ended up in Calgary, which was a great move uh, at that time. And, Christy, how was it growing up in the house with your dad, working his way to becoming the greatest coach of all time? It's funny, I get asked this question a lot of what it's like to grow up in a football family, and it's all I've ever known. I think the hardest transition actually was when my dad retired and life without football. But, uh, you know, I, I got to give credit to my mom. She uh, she realized, I think, that when we were young that we either get involved as a family or probably never see my dad. And so, uh, you know, we, we were an all-in kind of family. We went to practices, training camp. I don't think I ever missed a game uh, in my time in Calgary. And it was just a, a family affair and something that, you know, I have a, a tremendous and, and just great memories um, growing up in that in that space. 
And coach, you were with the Stampeders for 13 years and you're still the winningest coach in franchise history and you won three great cups there. But what are some of your fondest memories? I mean, we can talk about all the accolades and all the awards, but what are your fondest memories of your time in Calgary? Well, you know, obviously uh, building a, an organization, because when we uh, started in 1990, uh, uh, you know, John Huffnagel uh, had never really coached. Uh, he was selling uh, real estate, if I'm not mistaken. You know, so John was my first big hiring, and uh, him and I were kind of both rookies at what we were doing. And, uh, you know, so we built an organization there. I think we built a tradition and an environment. And I was, you know, extremely proud of that. Uh, I really uh, can remember in 1991, we went up to play the uh, great Edmonton Eskimos at Commonwealth. And, uh, you know, we beat them on the uh, Danny Barrett to Pee Wee Smith throw and late in the game. And, you know, when we came home uh, after uh, the game, uh, there was like 10, 15,000 people at the airport. Like, you know, they realized, uh, you know, what was happening. And, you know, so just the idea of building a, a tradition and environment and, you know, John and Dave have done a great job of continuing that. We've got a good picture of that, actually. You and I, there's always him and I, and so we've got a good oh, picture yeah, of him oh, waving yeah. to the crowd, and I've got a giant Stampeder sweatshirt on, and yeah, good memories. So, you know, during your time of building the franchise, there was another young man that you had on your team by the name of Dwayne Johnson. Um, he, still pra- he still praises you for what you meant to him. How does it feel to know that you had such a positive impact on so many people, including Dwayne himself? Well, you know, that's something you, you don't realize at the moment. You realize when people uh, like Dwayne and other people uh, that you've coached, that you've been around and you've influenced uh, have come back. And, uh, you know, a good example was uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was back at uh, the 1998 uh, uh, reunion of the great of the uh, Calgary Stampeders. And, uh, you know, great to see all the guys. And, you know, one of the guys that I was maybe a little bit concerned with at that time uh, you know, 25 years later, uh, you know, he's done a good job of getting his life under control. He's married, he's got kids, he's got a good job, and he's just a good person, period. So when you see that, you know, you you, uh, you feel good about the fact that you've invested in people because that's what it is. It's them knowing that you care, and, uh, you know, if they do know that, you know, then they'll respond to you. And Christy, during that time, you were saying that you were going to all the games and training camps. What were you doing back then? Were you helping out at training camp? Like, what kind of things were you involved with even back then? Oh, we're, I remember my, my, my dad brought my brother and I once a few times with Tony Martino, and we used to shag his balls for uh, hunting. <laughs> we would, uh, uh, yeah, so I remember doing that. We, you know, we'd help out with Gatorade. Uh, you know, I just remember bringing my friends to, to practice and, and to the games. And, you know, it was always fun because we got to do some behind the scene things too. I think one of my favorite memories is always Labor Day Classic. And I remember my dad and I were scheming about these black jerseys that they've never worn before. And we were all excited to <laughs> unveil that. And that was like, you know, we knew it was coming and the momentum that was building. And we were so excited to share that with the fans. And then just the crowd just went crazy during that game. And so that was 1994. We yeah. came out in our warmups in our red jerseys. And then, uh, oh, it was awesome. We had, uh, you know, had it all planned and the players come in and they went, yeah, they went wild. And, uh, you know, obviously all it is is a mental thing, right? But the, you know, the players were excited. The fans were excited. Yeah, it was awesome. 
you know, one of the other things Christy used to do for me is on the weekend, we had a hard time getting a weekend receptionist. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, so what she would do is uh, she'd come to work at eight in the morning. And she no, had, I think it was seven. It was early. It was, <laughs> it was early. So yeah, she had to sit there for uh, till five o'clock at night answering the phone. I said, Christy, don't you miss any calls? Yeah. Okay? <laughs> and don't you let anybody in here unless you know who they Those are. Those were the good old days when you got to like download your own music. And so I spent all day downloading music. I can't remember what, I think it was Napster or something. And I'm not that you know, old, but um, yeah, those, that was fun. And, you know, I think my dad and I always connected through the power of the written word, right? And, and I think my job as a, as a young kid is, and our way to connect was I, I wrote him motivational notes. It was when uh, the brand No Fear came out and I, I just love the concept and, you know, words of affirmation is a way that I really feel cared for. And so I took it upon myself to be the team motivator. The one thing about uh, sports and children and families is that sports is one of the few uh, businesses that allows you your family to be a part of you know when you have a big business meeting your kids don't get to come to it when you have uh you know a, a big uh, a trip or a big event they don't usually get to come to it you got to go home to tell them all about it whereas in sports you know they come to the games they can celebrate the victories uh, they can come to the uh, great cup parties and the great cup uh, parades and all those stuff so you know the families god bless them it's tough on them but they also uh, have an advantage of being able to experience things that a lot of people never get to experience. That was actually going to be my next question. So you had a young family at the time back in Calgary. How do you balance being a head coach, a GM, the guy, and, you know, being responsible for, you know, the 53-man roster, for example, but then you got to also balance your family at, at, you know, at home. How do you do that? Well, a couple of things. One, uh, I, I, I gave up golf because <laughs> <laughs> I, I figured, you know, any free time I have, I, I couldn't uh, selfishly go out and play golf. Okay. And the other thing is, uh, you know, um, uh, I, I got up early in the morning I, and I would go to uh, go to work very early. So I would try to get home, you know, usually around 637. Okay. And at least at that point, you could say goodnight to the kids, put them to bed you know, have some semblance of, of uh, life, you know, and then, you know, during the off season, uh, it was mandatory that all the kids be at breakfast and at dinner, you know, so we, you know, we try to catch up on the family time. And one of the things that I did is I invested uh, in a Hawaii trip every year for all the kids and my wife to go for three weeks during Christmas, because that would be the only downtime uh, in, in our business where, you know, you're not on the phone all day or you're not traveling, you know, so it, it's, you know, it's, it's uh, choices you're going to make. Okay. And, you know, uh, my family, I don't believe uh, suffered uh, because I wasn't around all the time. Uh, they knew that, uh, you know, we loved them and cared for them and that we were going to always look out for them, you know, but they also understood too, that there was time when football was number one. And there was going to be times when family was number one and football had to take a, a backseat to it. Christy, honestly, how did he do during that time? <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's like, I think there was just a natural understanding. I can't explain it. And maybe because 
you know, we didn't have a lot of time, but I, I remember it was more quality than quantity. Uh, you know, I grew up playing soccer and eventually I played over near the stadium. And I remember, you know, in between practices, I just walk over uh, to the, the office. Him and I would have a Gatorade. We'd, you know, shoot the for a little bit. And uh, then he would go back to work and I'd go back to practice. And so it was just like those pockets of quality time that we had together, I think were more meaningful to me than just us being together. You know what I mean? Like it was just a very intentional time that we had as a family. And I think the fact that we were all in for this football, like we really felt it. It wasn't just a game for us. It was our, our livelihood, our upbringing, our, our, you know, everything that encompassed our family. It was food, family, football, and faith. And that was those four apps that helped us survive, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> no, those, yeah, family, faith, and football. That's 100% the way it is. So. And food. Yeah. Yes. In our family, at least. Well, yeah. No, I uh, I have some Italians in my family as well. So trust me, I completely understand how that goes. <laughs> so after 13 years in Calgary, building a fantastic franchise, in 2003, there was another big change out to BC. Uh, what made you decide to go out to Vancouver and join the Lions? I was there first. He missed me too much. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that, that, you know, I can say that was part of it, but actually it wasn't. Uh, you know, in, in 2001, it's a, it's a little bit of a long story, so I'll try to make it as quick as I can. In 2000, oh, we have time. <laughs> uh, Sid Gucci owned the club, mm -hmm. and uh, I can remember in May, uh, he said to me, Wally, I have somebody who's interested in maybe buying the football club, but he's from Los Angeles. So I didn't think much of it, and, uh, you know, so weekend comes we go down to LA we do a free agent camp because we used to do free agent camp all the time and uh, I come back and I get a call from sick on Monday morning he says well he says uh, uh, can you tell me about this uh, young man who was at your camp I says uh, yeah who, who, who are you talking about he says uh, Kevin Frederick oh I said uh, I said said no he he's not good enough he was out of shape uh, you know slow and it didn't have a very good arm and this and that, this and that. And he, said, he says, oh, he says, uh, are you going to be around in a little bit? I, I, I kind of come over and visit with you. So I said, yeah, come. So he comes over and he says, well, his father wants to buy the club. But kind of one of the conditions is that we sign his son. Okay. So I said, well, Sig, he's not good enough. He said, well, look, I've never, ever asked you to do anything. And, you know, Sig's passed away, so I don't want to. Uh, uh, he said, I've never, ever asked you to do anything, which he never did. He's never asked me, never told me. He says, but I really need for you to help me on this because I need to be able to sell the club, you know, for personal reasons and all that. So I said, fine. I said, why don't you uh, ask Michael Frederick and his lawyer to come up? We'll meet. We'll have an agreement in principle. And then you guys can uh, work out the sale of your club. So they came. I said to uh, Mike Frederick, I said, Mike, um, I'll put your son on the roster for 2001. Okay, but in 2002, when we go to training camp, he's on his own. If he's not good enough, I'm going to cut him. Okay, he says, well, he says, I think he'll be good enough. I says, hey, we'll spend a whole year training and working with him and all that stuff. So um, long story short, Six sells the club. He's happy. Michael Fredericks comes, you know, whatever. Um, you know, then the next year we go to training camp, I give him the roster and the son's not on the roster. Okay. And so he says, uh, Wally, uh, where's Kevin? 
I says, Kevin's on the Delito list. We're going to delete him. He says, uh, no, I don't think you're going to do that. So think about what's next, right? Okay. So, you know, we, we, we got through the year and all that stuff. And then eventually uh, I resigned and went to, went to BC. I recently read uh, The Waterboy by Bob Ackles. It's a fantastic book. And he's, he details it a little bit, but I actually wanted to hear the story from you just because, you know, I, I just think you're an amazing coach and I just, I love listening to you and your story right now. So um, how was the change going to Vancouver from Calgary where you already had that established franchise? Well, you know, the, the, the thing that's um, uh, obviously the move at first is difficult because everything's strange and, you know, you're so familiar with what you were doing, with the people you were with. And when I went to BC, you know, everything was new, uh, you know, but the one thing that was um, obvious to me and, and was really different was the fact that, uh, you know, Bob Ackles was a tremendous um, football person and a tremendous man. And, you know, uh, David Braley, God bless him, uh, you know, he was about winning and he was going to give you whatever you needed to win. So, you know, for me, it, a good story was uh, I signed a player and the player got a $30,000 signing bonus and I prorated the signing bonus you know, over three months. So I get a phone call from David. David said, Molly. I said, yeah. He says, well, you signed so-and-so, didn't you? I said, yeah. He says, uh, why would you prorate his signing bonus? I says, well, in Calgary, I prorated the signing bonus because we didn't have enough money to give out a $30,000 signing bonus all at one time. We usually would prorate it when, you know, as the money came in. So he said, no, no. He says, uh, we don't do that here. He says, you need something, you let me know, I'll write the check. You know, so uh, from then on, it was, you know, then the next guy we go to sign is Dave Dickinson. I go to David, I said, David, I can sign Dave Dickinson for three years for a lot of money. He said, well, you just send me a note how much, I'll write you a check. You know, and, and that's how business was, you know, and with David. And so for me, that was all new because money was always a big struggle in Calgary over the years of Rickman, Duce, and, uh, you know, and, all, and Frederick and all those guys, so. So uh, that when you signed Dickinson, that was also the time where you traded Damon Allen to Toronto, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I you had. Know, and you know what? So Damon Allen was a great quarterback. And, you know, we had a lot of uh, great battles against him. But when I came here, there was a tremendous uh, outpouring of uh, the fans, the media wanted change. Okay. Not that Damon Allen, uh, you know, but they just wanted a change. And I felt uh, Dave Dickinson uh, could come in and bring an attitude, bring a, a, a whole new, uh, you know, ambiance about how things are going to get done, right? And, uh, you know, so the whole culture changed. And, and this is what, uh, uh, you know, the people wanted, the fans wanted. And, you know, and it did change. And, you know, uh, eventually got to where uh, football was uh, exciting. It was professional. You know, and Bob Ackles and I did said, hey, we're going to do things. We're going to do it right. And if you can't do it right, you're going to be gone. You know, and life goes on, right? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so you joined the Lions as coach and general manager. Um, you don't really see it a lot anymore. I know that Dickinson's doing it now in Calgary. And of course, you know, um, 
Coach Campbell right now is doing it in BC. But how difficult is it to manage both positions when you're the head coach and the general manager? Well, you know, it's only difficult if uh, you don't understand the two roles. Uh, you know, the two roles are distinctly different. You, you have to learn to separate the two, and you have to understand when you're one and when you're the other. Uh, I always used to tell the players in the meeting room, I'm either your best friend or your worst enemy. Okay, because I'm both the coach and the GM. So you can fool the coach, but you probably can't fool the GM. Or you can fool the GM, but you can't fool the coach. Okay, so... <laughs> You know, so from that point of view, I always felt it was a tremendous advantage. And when you look at uh, the nucleus of players that I had in Calgary and in BC, players that sustained with me for a long time, because I used to always tell them, and this was the Marv Levy philosophy, uh, we win, I win. We win, you win. When we win, you're here, I protect you. Okay? So the nucleus was, hey, do your job, do it well and win. If that's the case, uh, you, don't have a, you don't have an issue with me, okay? But if you're not doing your job, then, then there's an issue, okay? So you look at the great players, the G. Roy Simons, the Brent Johnson, the Dave Dickinsons, uh, you know, I can go on and on. You know, they, same thing in Calgary, Alonzo Johnson, the Allen Pitzes, uh, you know, the... Uh, Calvin Anderson. Calvin Anderson, you know. Ewee Smith. Fred Childress, all those guys, right? Yeah. They, you know what? You, you got to you got to know who to take care of. You got to take care of the players that help you win. And, you know, so I, I never had an issue with that. And when I negotiated a contract, uh, it was never personal. It was always business. When I left the office, uh, I was no longer the GM. I was now the head coach. And I think the players, I think they respected that because, you know, uh, I don't feel we had a, a, any major, major issues. And at the end of it, uh, players still like me today. <laughs> and Christy, you were working for the Lions at one point as well. How was it, number one, working together, but also, number two, growing up in football, did you always want to work in football? I did. I, I think I always felt, you know, I was the athlete in the family, and I always felt like that was uh, a part of my calling was to kind of continue my dad's legacy. And, and you know, football's in my DNA. It's something I'm very passionate about. It's something I love. I watch it it's on 24 seven all the time in my house. So whether he's in football or not, I'm still a fan, but you know, it was awesome working together. It was some of the best memories that I had. And, you know, he worked on the football side. I worked on the business side, but you know, one thing I really appreciated about my dad was that whenever I had, uh, you know, clients, corporate partners, uh, suite holders, anybody that really, you know, needed a little extra TLC or, or just, I, you know, I, I really wanted to go above and beyond and, and he'd come by and we'd bring him down on the sidelines and he'd say hello and he'd take pictures with them and it was never an issue. And, you know, for me, building relationships that stand the test of time is something that I've forged, you know, my career on and, you know, having people like my dad get that and understand that it, it really is about relationships and doing the little extra um, and also being able to sell something that I absolutely love. It was, you know, but I got to be honest with you, there were times when it was tough. When we started one and six, I remember calling my dad. I went for a long walk and I was like, oh my gosh, how did we do this for so long? And he was like, we used to win. And I was like, <laughs> is it, you know, it was like your home life, your work life, your family life. Like, but you know what? I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I, I had the best time. And coach, when, how, I guess, how did you decide that, it was, it, you were done. 
you know, because like there were times where you went, you uh, stepped away from coaching and just focused on GM. And then there was times where you focused on, you know, the coaching and what, whatnot back and forth. But how, how did you make the decision to say I'm done with all of it? Well, you know, first of all, in, in 2011, after we won, uh, you know, I, 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 I knew I was going to stop coaching for then. And I just GM because I felt it was time to start transitioning. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, you know, uh, you know, that went on for about four or five years. And at the same time, I, I was trying to convince David Brayley to sell the club because I felt that our tenure was up. It was time to give it to a, a new owner, have new direction for the football club. And uh, God bless David. He, he loved football. He loved the BC Lions. No, no. And, and it, it, was, it was serious. And I said, David, you're, you're hurting your legacy. Okay, I, you know, I don't want to be, you know, uh, sitting here talking like this to you, but I want to be honest with you. So I said, you know what, uh, David, I'll come back and, and I'll coach for two years. Okay, because I don't want, I want, I want to try to set up something to where you're comfortable with the next person or the next persons. And, you know, we did that. And uh, then the, the, uh, the, the third year, David wasn't comfortable still. So I said, look, I'll coach one more year, but I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm retiring in 218. And, uh, you know, I, I still think you should sell the club because it's time to put it in somebody else's hands. And uh, so after 218, you know, we had hired Ed Hervey to be the general manager. I, I left and uh, David, God bless him, didn't sell. You know, he had to die before he would, you know, and, and that was David's passion and his love. And I don't criticize him for it, but for me, uh, I stayed longer than I should have. But part of that was because of my uh, caring for David and, and not putting him in a very tough position. I had Amar Doman on my podcast actually a few months ago, right before the season started. And he's very passionate as well, just like Mr. Braley was. What do you think of the Lions right now after, you know, the purchase and, you know, the way what Amar has been doing for the franchise? Well, you know, what Amar has been doing is, is actually almost a, a replica of what happened in 2003. You know, where you have an exciting owner, you, you have an exciting uh, football operation team, you have an exciting football team. And, you go to BC Place today, the ambiance is way different than it's been. You know, they have a very exciting football club. Uh, you know, they got a lot of exciting players. Uh, you know, you go, they're in the community. I went to something uh, with, I, I can't remember exactly what it was with. The, um, the Super Chefs. The Super Chefs, which is a, the Team Dennis has this huge program. Uh, about uh, you know nutrition for kids and it's called super chefs and you know I'm there uh, because yeah, I supported uh, Dr. Chen and you know there's four BC Lions are there the, the president Dwayne's there you know just and, and this is what they're doing they're getting out back out in the community and making uh, themselves relevant you know and they have an exciting football team so the combination and then obviously Amar Doman uh, knows how to run a business. And, uh, you know, he's, like you said, he's passionate about it and he's not afraid to invest. You have to invest before you start, uh, you know, changing uh, the whole idea of what you're doing. 
I've only ever been to BC Place once for a game. It was last season. And I still say, I'm sorry to any other franchises I may have been involved with, but it is still the greatest game day experience I've ever seen. Yeah. Well, and it's even better all the time because even like I can feel this year, I've been at most of the games and the, the ambiance, the, uh, the atmosphere is different. It's a little bit more electrifying. This is why I always wanted the dome closed because I wanted to keep it as noisy as possible and as hot as possible. So the visiting team was a little bit at a disadvantage. So uh, they're getting back to it. And so you were eventually inducted into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame as the winningest coach in history. How did, how did you find out you were going into the hall? And for Christy, how proud were you to see your father being recognized for everything that he's done? Well, you know, I got a call from the commissioner. And, you know, obviously, um, anytime you get recognized, the thing with me anyways makes you reflect back on the journey, but not only the journey, but the people in the journey, you know, obviously you, you, you don't become uh, uh, an inductee into any hall of fame unless you've done something, but you can, you think of all the people that have been involved with you either as people who helped you uh, be a better football player, people who helped you to be a better person, people who helped you to be a better coach, uh, your support staff, you know, uh, like me, I, I was very fortunate. I had, uh, maybe two, three of the best personnel people anybody's ever had. I had Roy Shivers, I had Bobble Belovich, and then here in BC uh, at the latter of the years, I had Ryan Rigman and Neil McAvoy. You know, so um, I was blessed with having people that I could trust and who had a great eye for talent. And like I always said, you know, bring me great players, don't screw them up, and I'll be a great coach. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, you know, so, you know, that, that, that's what you look at, and, you know, and then, you know, like you say, you know, th this is not something uh, you strive for uh, when you first get a job. This is something that happens because of hard work and, and all the people that surround you that make you better. Yeah, and Anthony, I think to add to that, like, I think we, as a family, and I don't know if you've seen quarterbacks on, the NF uh, on Netflix, but it was so relatable to see some of the conversations that they've had and you know, those really, those sad car ride homes when you've lost. And, you know, I think being able to, to experience the depths and the hard work that my dad and the coaches and the players had all these years, like, it's not just a coach that gets recognized, it's your father, right? And for me, that means more than anything. And I think the thing that makes me the most proud of and, and really like warms my heart is hearing these personal stories of how my dad has affected people in such a positive way. And like the most random not just players, like random people on the street, random people through the community, business people. You know, I, I grew up seeing my dad making time for people, you know, homeless people on the street to CEOs or famous people in Hollywood. Like it didn't matter is the fact that you were a human being. And, you know, so for me, knowing that I come from a family of two strong parents with, who are leaders and have strong integrity, uh, if I can be half the person that, I, that my parents are like, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. So it's fun to be able to be part of and celebrate him. It's nice, truthfully, to do it while he's alive. Um, you know, I know some families don't get that privilege. And so for me, it's just been able to, it's been really fun to watch and be able to, to be part of the celebrations and, and to be celebrated by the fans across the league for all the hard work that he's done and things that he's accomplished.
And football has come a long way lately in regards to having more women involved in the sport. I advocate a lot on my podcast here for that to grow even more. This question is really for both of you. How great is it to see more women in the CFL? You know, there's women coaches and line judges, but even most notably Coach Tanya. How great is it to see that? Well, here, I'm going to go back about 30, 40 years ago and talk about how great it was to see a Canadian football coach. Then you saw a great Canadian head coach. And then you saw, and I'm not talking, I'm talking about Cal Murphy. Okay. And, you know, think of the, the, um, what do you call it? The doors that a person like Cal Murphy opened. Okay. Because, it, you know, it used to be, uh, you had to be American. You had to be, you know, whatever, whatever. You know, so when you look at women today, uh, you know, uh, the world is catching on that your uh, your citizenship or your sex should have nothing to do with your ability to motivate people and, and to be able to uh, um, digest and uh, educate somebody on the sport of football. I think Marv Levy, I, I don't know if Marv Levy played football. He might have played high school football, but, you know, he didn't play at the level of the NFL, and he's one of the great NFL coaches. You know, so it's exciting to see women um, do well in any endeavor. And coaching obviously is uh, a male-dominated profession, but it's great to see uh, that women today are taking the risk. It's a risk, okay? And I always commend somebody when they're willing to take a risk because if it's easy, nobody's going to give it to you. Okay, usually what you have to do is you got to go out and take it, work at it, and make people believe because they have to see it, not because, you know. So, I, I, like I said, I'm happy for Tanya, and God bless her, and all the other ladies that are involved in this male-dominant sport. Yeah, and uh, it's funny because I've had some people say, oh, I always thought you would be the one, the first one to pave the way and whatnot, and you know, I, I got to appreciate my family and my, and my upbringing too. They, they, they never made me feel like I couldn't do things because I was a girl or, or, you know, um, whatever. And so for me, I, they just said, Hey, you work hard, you treat people well, you can do and be whoever you want. And so when I see women stepping in on the lines and, and getting into the field and getting into sports that I, you know, I grew up playing sports, sports was everything to me. And, and so seeing people like my dad said, paved the way for these young women and these young girls to aspire to do great things and, and to break the glass ceiling. And I love that. So I'm here for it. And uh, I want to keep seeing more of it. I want to keep seeing women's sports being, you know, supported and, and sponsored properly and the women players paid properly. And I just love seeing, you know, cause no offense, but women get stuff done. So, and we do it well. And I think the business. I get that. Yeah. I think the business community know that sports. Uh, if you look on the business side, there's a lot of women, uh, you know, running the show on the business side of things and doing a lot of great work in partnership with these men. And so, I really love seeing that. That it truly is a partnership and giving women space uh, to do amazing things and, and great things really is exciting. It is. It's great to see. And another really great thing that we saw recently was the BC Lions Wall of Fame, where you were inducted in with the Water Boys. Congratulations. Thank you. Again, another uh, 
humbling honor. <laughs> and you know what? The, the thing that I enjoyed the most is I have six grandchildren, and my youngest granddaughter uh, uh, was born hearing impaired. You know, and you know, no, but the fact that you know she's young, so she's never experienced, uh, you know, the the crowd, you know, all the attention of sports. So for for her to be able to be a part of the ceremony, you know, go down in the pregame, go down at halftime, see the, you know the crowd, it, it was such a a, a a moving time, and you know obviously the recognition is is, is special, and, but to be able to share it with your family and then with uh, one of your grandchildren that's uh, never experienced sports, uh, yeah, it, it, it was uh, it was very emotional. I watched the game on TV where you were inducted into the wall. I was at the game in Calgary when you had the reunion. So it was really great to see. It was two weeks in a row where you were just the center of everything in BC and in Calgary. And I was tired. After yeah, I was tired. <laughs> I know, uh, Jay McNeil, God bless him. He did a great job on the uh, reunion. Uh, yeah, like I said, it, it was uh, the only uh, negative thing was, was the loss at home. But, you know, winning is always important, especially at home, okay? So, but it was nice to get together with all the guys. Great to see Fred Childress and Calvin Anderson and, you know, Jeff Garcia and, you know, uh, you know, yeah, you know Daryl Hall and all those great players who played for us. And, uh, you know, the offensive linemen are all skinny and the other guys are all a little bit heavier, right? <laughs> and then Jeff Garcia still looks jacked. <laughs> Yeah, no, Jeff used to come to our free agent camps in, in uh, California when I had them there. And yeah, J Jeff can probably still play if he wanted to. <laughs> and so, Christy, there is a really amazing organization that you're now involved in. I can see it. You're wearing the, the jacket right now. Let's talk about Make-A-Wish and let's talk about what's coming up here. Yeah, we're super excited. I, uh, I'm the chapter director of BC and Yukon for Make-A-Wish Canada. I started in January and, you know, it's a, a tremendous honor to, to lead the organization here on the West Coast and be part of a 13 chapter nationalized organization. Now we went through some changes and, and merged and came together as one entity. And, you know, we we're doing some incredible work and, uh, but we've got a lot of work to do. We have 4,000 kids across the country waiting for their wishes to be granted. Uh, 600 in BC and Yukon in the region in our region alone and you know no kids should have to wait for uh, a special moment and a memory that brings them hope and joy and and comfort and you know these wishes that we're granting are really more than a, a nice to have they are a need to have and it's been wonderful to be able to connect with some of the families and hear about their experiences and hear about how the power of their wish gave them something to look forward to and gave them um, an opportunity to be a normal family with a, a small part of a normal childhood. And it's in a very emotional organization to be part of, but I'm, I love what I'm doing and, you know, bringing my dad in to be an ambassador when I can. And, you know, I got to tell a story because Make-A-Wish wasn't on my radar at the time. And my dad, uh, my dad's old roommate for the Montreal Alouettes called us. This is before I worked for Make-A-Wish and his daughter was dying of terminal cancer. And uh, he said, you know, I, I know that you may not know, you may know the rock and that's her hero. And is there any way that we could meet him? And so people think obviously with the connection of my dad cutting the rock, uh, we have this like bat line to him and, or whatnot. But, you know, he calls me up because I help run his PR and social media. And he says, hey, what can we do? And I said, you know what, we got to try 
and you know, social media can be a real, not a real great thing sometimes, but uh, you know, the community really got behind us. I wrote, I crafted a tweet. We tagged his production company. Long story short, we were able to get in touch with the production company. We were both blown away. I think you were in Italy. I was I, Italy then. Yeah. I was texting and being like, oh my gosh, they want to do something. And so, you know, and oh, The Rock's yeah. kind of busy, right? He's in the middle of filming. And they say, what do you need? And I was like, well, what, we'll do anything. Like, what can you give us? And so he says, uh, he'll, you know, get some information on Kim, what's her name? And uh, he'll do a personalized video just for Kim. And we were like, oh my gosh. So I'm working with the family. I'm working with the production company. We're going back and forth. And I find out that Kim is rapidly declining in her health. And so to the point where she's refusing to see people. And, you know, I think if you've dealt with, you know, loss and, and, and terminal things in your family with your friends, you know that you have a very short amount of time when that starts happening. And so she was very depressed and we finally received the video. It was unbelievable. The Rock was like, I thought you, we have a mutual friend. His name is Wally. I'm pretty sure I'm his favorite player, but maybe that's just me. And <laughs> he talks about like, I hear you love wine and, and that you're an auntie and you know, I, I'm a, your biggest fan. And it was so moving that he spent, you know, how, how he's just so authentic. And so he spent five minutes just talking to her. And so I'm working, trying to figure out how are we going to get the video to Kim? Because she's not, you know, we don't want to tell her about it, but she's refusing to see people. So eventually we got her best friend to go in and she filmed Kim. <clears throat> I'm going to get emotional. She filmed Kim watching the video and that moment tr changed me. It transformed me to see someone who literally looked, I mean, she was on her deathbed. Mm -hmm. and see her overwhelmed with joy and laughter and just the ability to take an emotional break and just spend time having some fun with this video and interaction and you know unfortunately Kim passed away three days later and the fourth day this role became available and I felt like the universe and Kim were guiding me to continue this kind of work and so that's where I landed. So I got to give kudos to The Rock. I don't know where he is, but, uh, you know, he inspired me. The, the work that we do inspires me every single day. And I get to continue to tell Kim's story about how she, you know, really changed the trajectory in my career and, and allowed me to be part of something pretty magical. And Wally, how proud are you of your daughter and this type of work that she's doing now, changing lives, just like you did on the field before with so many players before you, she's now changing lives as well. Well, you know, Christy's always been a very uh, compassionate or passionate person. And, you know, this is exactly where she belongs. Uh, she, you know, when she believes something and they believe in her, Christy's going to be uh, the best that, that, that you can get. And, you know, she works extremely hard. And, you know, I've been at a number of things with her about, you know, when a family receives a wish and all that stuff. And you could see the uh, the joy, you know, because a lot of these families, they've been uh, around misery for so long and sadness for so long, you know, that when they get a, a, a wish, it, it uplifts the whole family and gives it, you know, a whole uh, opportunity just to celebrate a little something, you know. So, you know, it, it's, it costs money. Uh, Christy asks, you know, if we can uh, help her. And, you know, I, I'm very happy to do that because it, uh, it gives me a purpose. It helps me to fulfill Christy's purpose. And, you know, right now, make a wish. 
uh, is very fortunate to have somebody like her that's willing to, uh, you know, put your neck on the line. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you guys are involved jointly in a project coming yeah. up here right away. Let's talk about that. Yeah, and so, so we've been trying to think of like innovative ways to raise some money, bring some brand awareness to the organization and, and have some fun, right? And, and so we were trying to think of something unique and I don't really know who came to the, the final conclusion, but it certainly was a family affair, no surprise. So we were meeting with my mom and my sister and we finally came up with the idea of what if we auction off dad, him and I go to a game, he has never in his life ever sat in the stands. So I was like, we'll host two people. We'll take them on the pregame sideline. We'll give them signed Wally Bono jerseys. And we'll sit and talk football in the stands for a BC Lions game. And what better game? No offense to Calgary, because I love Calgary. But like, I'm not we, we hated the Riders. We hated the, we like love, hated the Riders. And I secretly believe that Wally, my dad, was their second favorite coach, even though he never coached them. That's, it was like unanimous every time I spoke to a Riders fan how much they love my dad. So it's against the riders. Uh, it's orange shirt day, which obviously is a very important day, um, you know, for, for Canada and reconcil truth and reconciliation. And so uh, we're really hoping we don't have to sit beside a riders fan for three hours, but we thought it would be fun. You know, our great friends and partners at WestJet just stepped up. They're actually providing a round trip for two uh, anywhere WestJet flies um, as part of the, the experience that just came out today. Obviously, there's blackouts and restrictions, but um, yeah, we're really excited to see the community. And so we really want to expand this across the country for any CFL fan, any Wally Bono fan, anyone who wants to make a difference for these kids facing critical illness. Um, it's a great opportunity to, to do some work, some good, have some impact, but also have some fun and pick this guy's brain because <laughs> it's going to be an experience. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Do you have a goal that you're hope like have you set a goal that you're hoping to raise for this? Well, the average cost of a wish is ten thousand dollars. You know, obviously okay. inflation that could change, but you know, uh, we'd love to reach ten thousand um, dollars. The auction is open until Sunday, so we do have some time. We've had incredible people that have reached out to us, like yourselves, who are putting us on podcasts. I know my dad did a few shows yesterday. We're going to be on Global on the weekend. We're going to be on the uh, Jody Vance and Linda Steele show uh, next week. Uh, you know, we're really just trying to get ourselves out there. And it's really not about us. It's about raising funds for these kids. And I'd also to make make a wish top of mind. I think, you know, in the pandemic, charities across the board suffered. And we were, you know, we we were one of them. And so it's like we want people to start thinking about make a wish again and, and the great work that we do. We have incredible organization and, and employees that work hard on the ground and, and closely with these families. And uh, I can tell you firsthand and, and from experience, we're making a difference and these funds make a difference. So I have shared it on my, so on my Instagram at around the CFL podcast, uh, and then as well as X formerly known as Twitter, same thing, but where else could people find the link and where else could people, you know, join up and look at it and try to try to win this man for a couple hours. Yeah, and you know what, Anthony, it's not just winning him. That's one thing. But, you know, I, obviously if people can't uh, bid because, you know, it could be a higher price ticket item, understanding, um, you know, wanting it to be accessible, you still can make a difference. Uh, at, if you go to www.makeawish.ca slash Wally, um, you can donate uh, or you can bid. Uh, so there's still an opportunity. Donate, uh, you know, on behalf of the GOAT 
and and you know to this cause that means my, uh, a lot to us and well a lady uh, yesterday donated when he first put it out she donated 25 dollars and those add up right yeah, so you, know, you do that five a hundred times a thousand times that's a lot of money yeah but the big thing is that it's not the amount of money sometimes it's just the fact that uh you know you you, you give a little something because if everybody gives a little something it's a yeah. lot of giving and uh you know our goal is to raise enough money to give one wish if we can raise enough to give two wishes that would be great but you know the idea is uh, every every little bit will help that child get closer to getting a wish yeah and that's the most important part is i mean it's great that you know someone's going to be able to win a chance to sit with you and hang out with you and talk to you and the first time you're sitting in the in the stands but at the end of the day the most important thing is these kids and getting these wishes granted absolutely absolutely and like i said before you know we're you know due to covid and and un, unable to do safe travel wishes we're behind so we got 600 kids waiting and and like i said it's it's heartbreaking when you meet these kids who have received their their wish or have at least have received the fact that they're getting one and have to wait due to restrictions and, and all that stuff. So, you know, for us, it's, we've got a, a tremendous team, uh, the BC UConn chapter, we've got a tremendous team across the country that's working hard, trying to grant as many wishes as possible, trying to raise as much money as possible in unique ways. And so we thought, Hey, you know what, we could do something fun and, and try to bring awareness to the organization and the good work that we're doing. That is absolutely amazing. I can't wait to see what the results are on it. I'm going to keep track of it. I'm also, I've pinned it to all of my social medias as well. So everyone can take a peek at it. So after the big event, what's next for you guys? What is next for us? <laughs> I mean, I'll still be working. This guy probably will be going to Arizona, but. Well, yeah, I'm going to, I know. <laughs> Until I put him to work again. We have a home in Arizona. And, uh, you know, Christy knows I'm always available. Yeah, you're I, I, I do have tickets to the Cardinals uh, Bengals game. Ooh. Okay, because, uh, you know, Joe Burrow's father and I played together with the Alouettes, right? Oh, wow. Burrow, Jimmy Burrow was a defensive back from Nebraska. I think he got drafted by the Packers, and then he ended up in Montreal. And I, I'm not, I, I, I'm going to say, I think he might have played in Calgary for a year or two or Saskatchewan. I can't remember. That was in the 70s. So, so we, you know, we still keep in touch. And uh, I asked Jimmy, uh, "Are you going to be in Arizona for the game?" He says, "I might be." I said, "Well, if you are, let me know. We can go out for dinner and get caught up and stuff, right?" Take so, a picture. Oh yeah, I'll be back uh, to work. Sorry, you know the wishes. We don't sleep in the right. wish world. So uh, it's you know it's the end of our fiscal in September, and so you don't have to go to the <laughs> office to work. I think if COVID did anything and made people realize, yeah. To a certain point, that that's yeah, that's good. Yeah, but we're I, out in the a lot, and, and we've got some some great things happening in the community. So if people people want to stay involved and, and connected, you can follow us at Make a Wish Canada or Make a Wish BC Yukon on Instagram. And we've got some really cool initiative partnering with a few local sports teams uh, in the next little while too. So that should be fun. One of the questions that so we got an article in the Toronto Sun yesterday, which was awesome. So Dan Barnes asked my dad if you could sit with anyone in the stands. Who would it be, and who did you say? I said that I, I would love to sit with The Rock to find out why a guy who cut him is your hero. <laughs> and and I, the other, I would love to sit in, in, in the stands with either uh, Parcells or Belichick. Oh. Yeah, those guys, I you know, because they, they think outside the box. Huh? Definitely. Just, 
Plus, they're old school coaches like me. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They are. All right. Thank you again so much. I, I appreciate you taking the time. And yeah, I just I can't wait to see how this event turns out. And you know, let's see, get some more of these uh, wishes granted. Awesome. Thank Thanks, you. Andy. Nice appreciate it. You. Thank you. That was our conversation with the greatest coach of all time, Wally Buono, and his very amazingly talented daughter, Christy Buono. And remember, everybody, please go to makeawish.ca slash Wally to bid or even just to donate. Because like we said in the episode, like we said in the interview, the most important thing right now is to get those wishes granted. It would be amazing to sit and you know talk to Wally and pick his brain for three hours watching a game. But at the end of the day, it's the kids that are the most important. So please go donate, bid, do whatever you got to do. And just let's try to make this thing happen. And now it's on to week 16. It kicks off on Friday, September 22nd with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders heading out to Ottawa to take on the Red Blacks. I'm going to say that Saskatchewan's been struggling. Ottawa's been really struggling. But I'm saying Saskatchewan's going to take this one. Game two on Friday night is the BC Lions heading into Edmonton to take on the Elks. The Lions have shut out the Elks twice already this season. They're not going to shut them out, I don't think, again. But I still think BC is just on a tear right now. And Winnipeg's lost. They're going to be even more hungry to take over that number one spot. BC should win this one. On Saturday, the Montreal Alouettes head out to Calgary for an afternoon game to take on the Stampeders. Montreal and Calgary both have a lot going on right now. They both need the wins big. Calgary, of course, is probably looking at taking that crossover. Montreal doesn't want that to happen. Neither, of course, is Hamilton or Ottawa. I still think that Calgary can probably pull this one out. It will be the Stampeders over the Montreal Alouettes, but I still think this is going to be a really good game. And the final game for Week 16, the Hamilton Tiger Cats heading out to Toronto to take on the Argos in another big rematch. The Argos will take this one. They are on such a tear right now that I'm excited to see what happens with the Argos by the end of the year. But as of right now, they will take this one. And of course, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers coming off of that crushing loss to Hamilton are on the bye week. Don't forget, you can follow us on Instagram and X at Around the CFL. And you can also find our podcasts on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Pandora, iHeart, Google, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. If you're enjoying the show, please go ahead and leave us a big five-star rating. We will be back again next week. Hopefully, we can round up another special guest. But until then, we'll see you later.